Today on Ag News Daily. When we took out uh, open below Friday's lows, uh, that brought in some more technical selling. Then we took out last week's lows, and that added to the technical selling. Good afternoon, ladies and gentlemen. It is Monday yet again here on the Ag News Daily Podcast. I am Mike Pearson, joined by co-host Delaney Howell. Delaney, how you doing? I'm pretty good, Mike. How about you? Not too shabby. Not too shabby at all. Madison Uncup is also on the cast with us today, on the pod, I suppose. Madison, how are you? I'm great, Mike. Wonderful. Wunderbar, as we would say in the German. Are you German? No. No, I don't have any connections to any German news <laughs> stories. I was thinking I'd do that and then lead into it, but mm, okay. I, I don't. I've got news stories about Argentina and China and U.S. ethanol. Nothing to do with Germany, but it's still fun I've to say. I've got one to do with kind of roughly, loosely dealing with Germany. Well, kick it off then. Okay. Well... We know that the European Union has been uh, pretty mm, wishy-washy on certain products like glyphosate and other chemicals, but Syngenta announced today that a specific trait has been approved by the European Commission for the import of specifically the, the trait Agrisure Duracade, which is a trait that features a Interesting and unique mode of action that controls the corn rootworm differently than all other traits on the market, but it's exciting that they are able to get that into the European market that's approved for import for next year. So if you were to use that tool in your lineup of products next year as that trait in your in your corn, it will be approved by the European Commission for import. All right. Yeah, good news. Yes. Good news. Very cool. Well, actually, while we're talking corn, I've got less good news coming out of the ethanol world. Um, CEO of Green Plains Energy, Todd Becker, recently did an interview with Reuters, and uh, he was talking about really the headwinds facing the ethanol industry uh, that is happening right now. And he really had some pretty, to me, eye-opening facts. Uh, one of them was they were glad to see the ban lifted so E15 can be sold year-round. However, there are currently only 2,000 retail stores equipped to handle uh, ethanol up to E85. But the industry needs 10,000 stores in order to really boost demand to get to a point where we can start to see ethanol margins pick up a little bit. Uh, the other fact he said is that some plants will slow down, some will shut down, which we're already starting to see, and some will shut down forever um, as the depressed margin environment continues to take its toll on ethanol across the country. So not uh, not a, uh, a super uplifting interview, but folks, if you are in the, the ethanol game, whether you're a corn grower who supplies a plant, whether you're a plant producer, whatever, um, check out this interview. It's on Reuters. Uh, it was posted earlier today, and it is uh, fascinating. Keep using E15 then, Mike. What's that? said, got to keep using E15. Absolutely. The 78 Lincoln loves E15. <laughs> I don't think you're supposed to use E15 in that. Oh, sure. I mean, it was it's from 1978. It was built to oh, run okay. on gas and I get the extra octane advantage by burning E15, So I and it's cheaper, so I always do. All right. 
Madison, what news stories do you have for us today? <laughs> well, Mike, I have kind of an update on the budget deal that we talked about yesterday. The House did pass this legislation last week. And now it is going over to the Senate, and the Senate is expected to take up the $2.7 trillion budget agreement, um, obviously after clearing through a slate of judicial nominations. And this measure would actually raise defense and domestic spending caps for the next two years and hopefully suspend the debt ceiling until July 2021. Um, Kind of settling settling two of the biggest fiscal fights until well hopefully well after the 2020 elections and i know the house really wanted to do get this deal passed especially before they go into recess so that those going on the campaign trail for 2020 did not have to worry about the whole budgeting issue um so we will keep an eye on this but president trump does plan to sign this legislation if it reaches his desk and it is good news for businesses farmers federal workers and anyone else hoping to avoid another government shutdown yes we'll keep that out of the headlines for a little while Mm -hmm. which will at least uh eliminate some of the anxiety that has been uh, plaguing the markets whenever these things pop up and uh wreak havoc on anybody trying to plan Yes, let's definitely hope so. Well, speaking of planning, Argentinians, wheat growers in particular, are planning to harvest a record crop. It was announced earlier that uh, the analysts expect Argentina to produce 21 to 22 million tons, metric tons of wheat this year, which beats last year's record crop of 19 million metric tons. And... um, That's not going to be great news in the wheat markets as we get throughout the rest of this year. Their harvest is just starting to wrap up or it's just starting to get underway, I should say. And the last thing we really need in that wheat market is more wheat on the global scene. But didn't seem to affect prices too much today. We'll just have to continue to watch and see how it plays out. Another thing that didn't seem to affect prices today as we are getting ready here for trade talks again going on in Shanghai between the U.S. and China. On Friday, President Trump opened up kind of a new attack line on China and accused them of using preferential status of the developing country status given to them by the WTO to gain unfair advantages Within the World Trade Organization, he uh, made some interesting comments, but this is just right on the heels, of course, as Steve Mnuchin and Robert Lighthizer are heading to Shanghai. I believe they start negotiations today, um, if not tomorrow, for two days, and then we'll be back in the U.S. for negotiations with Japan later this week. But because of all that impact, of course, we know the market facilitation program release was announced last week and today folks is the first day for you to get into your fsa offices and get signed up for those payments get that money that's right or you can also go to farmers.gov mfp if you'd like to look up your specific county rates yes for those of you who didn't see it it was announced last 
Friday, Thursday, Thursday yes. of the county rates. I believe we tweeted a link to it on our Twitter page at Ag News Daily, so you can check that out there. Otherwise, yeah, check out the uh, farmers.gov slash MFP. Delaney, you mentioned right there the trade talks that are coming next week with China in Shanghai, and we had reports out from the government today that exports of beans to China picked up the most in five months last week ahead of the trade talks. It certainly Mm. looks as though China is trying to present an olive branch. We've talked about that a lot. Of course, these are um, uh, purchases. They're still down significantly. But um, we did see about 600,000 tons of soybeans exported, not just sold, but actually put on ships and bound for China uh, last week, which is very, very good news because there were concerns that China was delaying some of those actual purchases And uh, at least we know they're taking some right now. That we do, Mike. That we do. So, Madison, what other news stories do you have for us today? I just have one last thing. Um, Kind of an update on gene editing regulations through the FDA. Lots of lawmakers are lobbying the FDA to change their regulations that they currently have to develop a more appropriate and workable approach so they don't have quite the backlog that they currently do. Um, current, They are kind of fighting the USDA right now because the USDA wants to be playing a bigger role within regulating um, biotechnology and gene editing through livestock and um, different crops. So really... Um, they are, they're still fighting, really. That's all the <laughs> update. Um, but the farm groups are really pushing the USDA to have that bigger role in kind of take over more of this biotechnology, regu- these biotechnology approvals and regulations rather than having the FDA. All right. Well, okay. we'll keep an eye on that story as this goes forward. Always, mm-hmm. always disagreements to be had as people titter and tatter and natter back and forth but yes definitely but they do one of the big things they are trying to figure out is african swine fever of course is still huge and they're hoping to that's what they're pushing more Hmm. that makes sense Mm -hmm. well i've got just one other final news story to share with everybody today as we continue to watch the roundup ready court cases going on in California, we saw on Friday a a judge out there significantly slash the amount awarded to one couple who sued them uh, saying that they both had non-Hodgkin's lymphoma. And on Thursday evening, excuse me, they found that Monsanto was their, that their conduct was, uh, you know, in line with the causation of non-Hodgkin's lymphoma, and they originally awarded a punitive damage amount of over $2 billion to this couple, but on Thursday and Friday, we saw them release an order that slashed that to now only $86.7 million. So uh, still a pretty big chunk of change there, but much less than what they originally were awarded. Yeah, yeah, much less. $2 billion. Bear was going to notice that hit. 86 still sucks for the company. Great for the couple. Uh, You know, it's terrible they've got non-Hodgkin's lymphoma. But, uh, yeah, that is a big number. 
it is a big number, and we're still watching Bear Monsanto appeal two different decisions um, in the Hardiman case and then also the Johnson case going on in California right now. But And then I believe there's currently 17,000 similar oh, cases geez. waiting to be tried as a class <laughs> action or several class actions. I'm not sure how that all works. But, uh, yeah, you know, once uh, once trial attorneys or, yeah, started seeing these big payouts, they all kind of jumped into the line. And, you know, Delaney, mm. I have actually seen on my Facebook feed ads that if you have used Roundup mm-hmm. and have been diagnosed with non-Hodgkin's lymphoma, lymphoma to, you know, call thus and such attorney's office and they'll get you signed up and you can, you know, get your money, I guess. Which, if it's that many different people, are you going to get very much money? No, probably not. No. No, no, of course not. That would uh, that would take down Bear if uh, if that were the case. But not speaking of takedowns, we had Green in the markets today. Madison, yes. Delaney, what do you say? Should we jump in and see how they finished? Let's do it. Let's do it. All right, folks. And our markets are brought to us by our friends at the Zaner Group. Remember, I am a proud employee of Zaner right now. So if you want to give us a shout, get help with your marketing plans and your risk management, give us a shout, 312-277-0050, or visit us on the website at Zaner, Z-A-N-E-R.com, and be sure to mention you heard it on the Ag News Daily podcast. We've got green in the grains today, September corn up two and a half cents at 417 even, December also up two and a half to close at 427 even. Soybeans, the September contract up two and three quarters, closed at 891 and a half, November up three and a quarter, finished at 904 and a quarter. And wheat, big mover today. The SEP contract was up seven and a half cents at five oh three and a half. December up four and a quarter. Closed the day at five oh eight and a half. Looking now at the world of livestock, we've got red on the screen. Some pretty ugly losses in the lean hog futures. But starting with cattle, the August contract was unchanged on the day at one oh eight sixty five. October down 45 cents at 109.45. In feeder cattle, the August contract down $1.4250 at 142.30. September down $1.2750 to close the day at 142.82 and a half. And in lean hogs, that August contract was down $2 to close at 84.42 and a half, with the October down the limit, $3 lower to close at 76. 45. Quick look over at the dairy market in our class three milk futures. The July was down a penny at 1747 with the August down six cents, finishing the day at 1760. Without further ado, we are going to have our annual market or annual, our weekly market Monday discussion with our good friend, Brian Split. Well, as I mentioned, it is Hashtag Market Monday, and we are joined by our good friend, Mr. Brian Split, who is a partner at agmarket.net. Brian, thanks for taking the time to chat with us today. Yeah, thanks for having me. It's always a pleasure. Well, we always enjoy it, and we've actually got green on the screen in the grain markets today. Good news for our grain-growing listeners. Walk us through this corn market. We're up two and a half cents. Last week was, uh, was a bit of a bear. Where do you see us going from here? Well, I, I think right now what I would like to have happen is this market to maintain support above 420 in the December contract. Um, it does look like there is a potential for a, a head and shoulder top on the corn chart, but it's really not a valid formation until you take out what would be the neckline. So you got to break down below 420. Um, if that did happen, I think the weakness that we could see would, would probably surprise people. 
I think we would probably see the 405-ish area pretty quickly. Uh, and unfortunately, that pattern, if it verified, would measure down uh, roughly to the 380 area. Uh, and there's actually a gap that started this whole rally that uh, would get filled at 377.5. So just kind of anecdotally, when you look back at the last uh, couple of years where we've traded over 420 for a, a decent amount of time, uh, 2015 and 2016 really stand out. And it's one of those things where, you know, the market was bullish. We saw some prices up near 450. But uh, when the market finally broke down and when it took out 420 to the downside, there was no, hey, let's sell the bounce. There was no, hey, if it gets back to 425 or 430, we'll sell it there. Um, it pretty much plummeted and uh, was down in the low to mid 380s within three to five sessions. So, um, you know, I'm, again, I'm hoping that we can maintain that support. We did have a, you know, a little lower start last night. Uh, we were able to take out Friday's highs overnight as well, but we couldn't close above them. That's one of the things I was really hoping to see was to close above Friday's high to give us that outside reversal higher. So I think the market now is going to look and see how these crop conditions come out this afternoon. And, and right now uh, things are, are expected to be steady from last week. Brian, is it safe to say or, or fair to say that the August 12th report will really determine if we head lower or stay in this range or even potentially head higher? Is it, Are we kind of waiting, I guess, for that report to come out before we see the corn market take a direction one way or the other? Uh, you know, there's a long time um, in the trading world between now and that report. And uh, we've got all of this week and all of next week, and a lot can happen in two weeks. Um, so... Without any any news to uh, to help the market at least stay st supported, if not go higher from here, um, that would be my concern for producers that you know are, are undersold at this point, or you know are trying to have a, a long or bullish bias. Is that we just for lack of other news uh, end up taking out that support. So I don't know if the market is going to wait that two weeks or not. Um, I, I hope it does. But I think producers should have some kind of a plan B uh, because for all we know, heck, I, you know, if we were to take out 420 in the next couple of days, we could be at a much lower level going into that report. Now, I do think the way the market is trading price action wise, and we've heard comparisons to 1993 since uh, spring when we really figured that, hey, this is a really wet year. Uh, but everything we're doing this year seems to be a month ahead of schedule compared to 93. So in, in 93, that initial low was made in June. Uh, this year it was made in May. In 93, we had a summer high, uh, and that was made in, in um, July. This year we made it in June. In 93, from that summer high, we eventually rolled over for a couple months, and we made a secondary low in September. I think it was September 7th that year. Uh, so the pattern, if we continue to follow the same type of price action, would suggest that we could actually make a low in early August. Uh, and then the main feature of 93 was that we did have a really good, strong rally all the way through harvest into the January final production report. And I think it could make a lot of sense to see something like that this year, where if we did end up breaking down below support and reached a lower level, I mean, if you face it, that would kick out a lot of the bulls out of the market um, they would they would have to to get out uh, after you take out that support and uh, just to make a, a secondary low maybe it's on the August report 
uh, and then find a rally through harvest as we get actual yield reports and maybe the USDA lowers yield further. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense, Brian. Now, let's talk price action in the soybean markets. A little bit of an update today in soybeans. Let's, let's walk through new crop. We're still hanging out above $9 in the NOV contract. What's it going to take for this thing to really pop? Just another August weather scare? Well, uh, I think some kind of a weather uh, event w- would definitely be a, a driver. Um, you know, it's hard to expect any kind of a trade announcement, but I think if we did get a good trade announcement that a deal was done, that that, that would make the market go up. It seems like, you know, we've been waiting for that for over a year now, so uh, I'll believe it when I see it. Um, other than that, uh, there's just not a lot of news to uh, to make this market really get a, a strong move. We did have a, a day, what was it, not last week, but the Friday going into the weekend the week before where we were up about 20 cents, and that was on a Chinese rumor. So uh, the market will react if it's at support, and, and there's a little bit of, of risk versus a good reward potential, but uh, we're still unable to break out of this trading range. So I think right now, the November soybean contract could trade somewhat freely between, let's say, 890 and, and 920 without really meaning anything on the chart. Um, if we could get a couple closes over the 200-day moving average, which has been pretty good resistance here over the last two weeks, that's around the 924 area. That might bring in some more technical buying. But uh, right now, I think uh, it has to be some kind of a, a weather event, which makes the market feel like we're losing additional soybean yield. Uh, or we need to have some kind of a good trade announcement. Uh, And I would say right now, uh, I I tend to believe that the soybean crop, uh, if I'm trying to say which looks worse between corn and soybeans, I'd say the soybean crop looks worse. Uh, And I think that we have um, some additional room to the downside on on USDA's uh, soybean yield uh, estimate at this point because I I really have a hard time believing that we're going to have a top three or four type uh, national average crop considering everything that the soybean market is is dealt with this year. But I want to talk about the wheat markets here for just a second. They've obviously been working pretty closely there with the corn markets, but support level wise, do they does wheat feel confident and comfortable sitting at that $5 510 level or is there any reason for it to head to the upside or downside from here? I think some of the support here recently has been based on um, some of the exports. We saw a good export number last week on the weekly sales uh, totals on Thursday, and uh, really the the wheat sales were better than than corn and soybeans. So that provided a little bit of a lift. But um, you know we've got a, a very nice downtrend in place on the Chicago wheat, and uh, to me it looks like the wheat has a a head and shoulder top that we've already taken out the neckline. So. We'll see, uh, you know, one of the things that we'll be watching is where we're at for winter wheat harvest. Uh, It's been a little bit behind, so that's been providing some support to the wheat market. But if this uh, head and shoulder pattern is valid in wheat, then uh, we could see some some additional weakness in the wheat market. Uh, But I I think you're you're only one um, downgrade away in some of the um, other growing regions around the world from turning wheat into a little bit of a, a bullish story because uh, if you were to see uh, a downgrade in, let's say, the Black Sea region or um, the uh, Australian crop or the European crop, 
we're not very far away on a on a world level from uh, being at the tightest stocks to use since 2013. So um, I think that's why the trade, you know, when we saw how hot it got in Europe again last week, there was some support and the trade got a little itchy because of that. So any further downgrades around the world, uh, you know, could turn wheat into a, a friendly market. But right now the charts do look a little bit negative. Well, and it has been a hot minute since wheat was a bull story, so that would be good news for all the wheat growers out there. But, Brian, I want to take it over to livestock for a second. Really, the story in the livestock markets today was the limit down in uh, September, no, October, lean hogs. And talk us through what happened today that really caused that thing to fall apart. Well, prior to today, it looks like we have seen uh, somewhat of a, a topping type of a pattern here. Um, you know, we've had a very nice uptrend in place that uh, started early in the month, and we put on some good values, roughly from 68 uh, is where we were early in the month. And as uh, recently as uh, early to midweek last week, we got up to just under 82. And uh, we had a very tight trading range. Uh, that would have been uh, Wednesday of last week. Uh, Thursday, we took out that day's low, and that gave, I think, bears a very reasonable risk-reward to establish a short uh, we were down 220 on on Thursday. Another very tight trading range on on Friday, uh, when we took out uh, open below Friday's lows, uh, that brought in some more technical selling. Then we took out last week's lows, and that added to the technical selling. And we did have a headline today that uh, swine flu was found at the state fair in Michigan, um, and I don't think that helped anything. Uh, this is not uh, uh, African swine fever, which uh, when I first read the, heart, the headline and saw it, I, that was where my mind immediately went, uh, and then uh, read the article, and it's, it's a different variety. But this is the variety that can make humans sick. Um, so for a, uh, a story about potential demand loss from the consumer, uh, that would be the concern there is that if uh, if you see that potentially spread, to other areas, um, and it it, uh, it it spreads to other states, then uh, you have a, a product that can make the consumer sick, and that is not the case with the African swine fever. Uh, that is uh, strictly uh, something that affects the animal and not the human. And when we see stuff like that, especially here in the United States, we see you know if we see that continue to spread in, in a product that makes the U.S. consumer sick. Hopefully, we see more people turning to eat beef as their protein source. Brian, if we do see those stars align and see that continue to spread around the U.S., what's that going to do for our beef-producing friends? Well, like you had hinted at, there um, there could be a, a short-term shift in demand. Um, I, I think beef demand is fantastic either way, um, but... Uh, you know, right now we've got a lot of things going on in the livestock market in general with uh, with some of these diseases, and so I think that uh, you know, right now poultry uh, would be a a winner uh, of any concerns about um, you know additional concerns about pork. Um, that would be your your white meat, right? So pork's the other white meat. So if somebody is is staying away from uh, red meat due to their dietary constrictions, um, they're more likely to uh, to uh, go to, to poultry instead. But uh, for somebody that uh, you know doesn't have that dietary um, 
issue to deal with, I, I would definitely see beef as, as being an alternative. Um, and so, you know, if somebody like my family, you know, we spread the love over the course of the week where, you know, we're, we're going to grill beef, we're going to grill chicken, we're going to grill pork. And we, we probably have, uh, each of those meats at least once a week, if not twice, depending on the week. Um, you know, it might be something that is substituted out one day or two days of the week. But, uh, I, I think in general right now, just looking at the, the cattle chart, there's a little bit of a concern there uh, for what it's worth. We did make a new high for the move for October cattle today, but also had an outside day lower. So uh, that could be an early warning sign for a little bit of a, a potential short-term high uh, on the live cattle as well today. Brian, if our listeners want to pick your brain a little further or work with you to manage some of that market risk, where should they go to get a hold of you? Easiest thing to do would be to give me a ring at the office. It's uh, 815-665-0463. And uh, I would also encourage, if you haven't seen it, we did a, a study uh, with some aerial uh, high-resolution photos that we took through the Corn Belt. Um, we went through Iowa, Missouri, Illinois, Indiana, and Ohio, and uh, we took uh, a photo randomly every 25 miles through the flight path. So all these photos are, are on our website. Uh, and I would encourage you to take a look at that as well. It's www.agmarket.net. Yeah, definitely check that out. It's a fascinating look at the corn crop that you don't, or corn and soybeans, that you don't get by driving along the roads. The, the amount of drownouts and dead spots uh, really blew me away, Brian. Yeah, just stuff that you cannot see when you're going down the highway uh, and, and probably can't see walking through the field unless you get to the right area. Um, you know, you might have to walk your whole field to really get a sense of what's truly out there that you can see from these photos. And I tell you what, uh, you know, the, the study was really pointed at trying to do some assessment on the corn crop. But as you as we looked at these photos in the eastern belt, um, you know, and there's some assumptions made that, hey, these fields that are corn are definitely corn. Uh, but other fields where you can see the planter rolled through the field because of the tracks are there, but there's nothing up yet. You, don't, you have to assume that that's soybeans, and man, uh, if that's the case, I mean, you have beans, um, you know, barely coming out of the ground uh, within a week after 4th of July, so uh, it's, it's definitely a concern for the soybean crop. Absolutely. Well, Brian Split, partner at agmarket.net, thank you so much for taking the time to chat with us today. Yeah, thanks for having me, guys. All right. Well, again, a big thank you there to Brian Split. Always good to get different people's opinions and insight into the commodity markets. But if you want to get some insight and info on other things impacting agriculture besides the commodity markets, we are constantly sharing and posting on our social media sites at Ag News Daily on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Guys, with that, should we let the people go? Let's, let's let them, let them go. go.